Payments Podcast from Bottomline Technologies. Hello and welcome to the Payments Podcast. My name is John Gaffney. I'll have the privilege of hosting today's episode titled Cracking the Case on AP Fraud and Business Email Compromise. You know, not many types of business-related fraud grab the attention of the FBI or Interpol, but business email compromise is dangerous enough to warrant their attention as well as other enforcement agencies, as I've mentioned. It's one of the high-profile examples of accounts payable fraud, which continues to demand vigilance for banks and corporates across the globe. Today, I'm joined by bottom-line Chief Security Officer Chris Gerda, who will address the rise in BEC as well as other types of accounts payable fraud, and he will recommend some strategies to make sure it doesn't happen to your company. Chris, welcome. Thanks, John. Happy to be here. Good. Let me give you some background before you start. Um, You know, if you're not familiar with business email compromise, it is defined by the FBI's IC3 division as, quote, a sophisticated scam targeting businesses that perform electronic payments, such as wire or ACH transfers. I'm going to guess that includes all our listeners today. Um, In addition to diverting funds, BEC perpetrators may also target personally identifiable information, W-2s, um, and which this can be exploited, resold, or both. This type of fraud can range from quick one-time hits to sophisticated infiltration schemes that unfold over months or even years. So, Chris, let's start at the top and kick off with a little bit of drama here. Um, a recent report called Business Email Compromise, a Cybercrime Pandemic, with 64% increase in attacks over the last year. Is that too dramatic? Um, I think that it's kind of like the flu or the common cold. Uh, it's not too dramatic, but this is something that's been here for a long time. Business email account compromise, it's not going away. Year over year, you can see statistically that it's the most damaging fraud to businesses in the United States, far outweighing other frauds on the ic3.gov website as far as damage. So it's, you know, we're, we'll talk about pandemics because we're in the midst of one. Um, I think that you're definitely seeing attacks up though, uh, specifically in the past two years. Why? Uh, a lot of the communication uh, has changed. We've moved from in office to at home. We've migrated the ways we communicate, maybe from a desk phone to a voice over internet phone. We've had to do more things through email, less things face-to-face. And anytime you see that, you see surges in attacks. Everybody in the United States saw phishing emails specific to COVID. It consumer to business. That's where it starts. It just really started hitting home and we started to see behavior changes in how companies and organizations are thinking about protecting themselves. Is the uh, Does the shift to digitization whether it's real-time payments or P2P, you know, we use more Venmo and Zelle than ever. I mean, these new products, um, are, is the adaptation of them um, make us more vulnerable to fraud? Anytime there's a new product uh, or even, even not just a new product, but something that makes something easier to use. I, I have a saying, ease of use equals ease of fraud. Hmm. Right, So it might be a great user experience, but if you haven't thought through all the layers and you're not taking a security-first design-centric uh, approach, you will have massive influxes in, in fraud. And you can see those stories as 
the peer-to-peer payment networks rolled out in the United States as well as in the UK without validation methodologies, without an understanding of how that flood was going to affect them. And we have to apply that same type of logic to business payments, which have an extremely large single payment value perspective versus a consumer payment and make sure that we have a a ton of layers to block those out. And that's you know really what we're here to talk about today. And Chris, how does it, if you could, characterize the context of how business email compromise fits within the more general issue of AP fraud? Is it dominant? Yeah, I would say so. Um, <clears throat> business email account compromise is account payables nemesis, arch enemy. It sits right next to your brand new vendor that you're going to pay and a fraudster is going to impersonate them, right? So it's like a business identity theft for that first payment. And then business email account compromise fraud is when you have that really hard to detect email hack or fake email that looks really close to the real email. The conundrum here is that Business email account compromise fraud exists and hides in the same place that accounts payable does business, which is within emails and phone calls. And we've seen a lot of sophisticated attempts on the rise, particularly over the last two to three years around phone takeovers and those things being the keys to the kingdom now as we all get multi-factor authentication codes sent to them. You know, so that's really where BEC fraud is living today in those in those phones and in those emails. So, uh, Chris, talk about MFA a little bit, multi-factor authentication, excuse me. Um, but how much does that help, and do you see businesses pivoting to more usage of that? It helps a great deal. It is probably the number one way that a business or a, a consumer, right? In your personal lives, you really have to think about this too. It spills over into our business lives. So adding multi-factor authentication to every platform you use, particularly your emails, your login to your phones. So your login to your Verizon or T-Mobile or AT&T sites, you got to put that extra layer of security on there. And if you're using an internet phone and you're going online and logging in to have that access, multi-factor there is really critical. And this is blocking out the majority of the frauds. The fraudsters really go for those MFA codes, though, when it comes to businesses, though. They're going to actually try and socially engineer those by calling you, trying to get you to give them the code over the phone, things like that. Those are... um, really hard to detect pieces and that's why you need a lot of layers so i'll talk about that you know throughout but within paymodex specifically we've been doing vendor authentication as a service to stop business email account compromise fraud for quite a while we've had a lot of pivots and changes into our methodologies to detect those types of sophisticated frauds and they've had to be updated and by updating and changing with the different patterns we've had a a good track record over three years over a trillion dollars in payments process with no fraudulent payments in our authenticated network for businesses but it's really important that we're adding changing updating layers 
because some of these situations are almost like no can defense in a, in a sense. Um, so you have to have a lot of different controls in place. Yeah, and there's and you know there's also been some high profile cases here of of business email compromise. There's a a town in New England we'll we'll leave unnamed um, that apparently got hit for about two million dollars um, from AP fraud. Could you tell us if there's a common thread as to what organizations might do in regard to BEC and other types of fraud? What 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 is common about what they do wrong? The common thread is <clears throat> human air and or in conjunction with taking changes for banking information via email. So you have to have other pieces of authentication so that you understand who you're talking to. Is it the real business? Is it the real person? That's really critical. And those are the massive common failures um, that occur. And anytime you have a manual process, that's also a place where that human element can fail. Um, and so specific, right? Because this is a town that had an issue. Um, you even look at some of the government infrastructure plans that are going through the legislature now, looking specifically at budgeting for cybersecurity spending for cities, towns, governments, and that type of cybersecurity spending it's not just for, I need to create a firewall, right? It's for, I need to partner with someone to secure my payments that I'm making in a digital environment. Those are key partnerships that will help cities, towns, governments stay ahead of fraud in a digital payment space. So is it fair to ask this question, Chris, if you, if you had a, a room full of, of banks and, and government officials and corporates, you had a big room and, and they're going to ask you, what are the two things I can do when I go home? Um, what would they be? Uh, the first one, I say the same every single time I talk. Put multi-factor authentication on everything. Said it earlier, I will say it again. You have to set it up sometimes. Uh, organizations may not actually have that on as a standard. They may make it optional. You've got to go in and put it on. Um, <clears throat> emails, phone plans, phone updates, payment approvals, all your voice over internet phones, layer it everywhere. Um, that's going to protect you significantly. Uh, and the second thing, you know, bank updates can never be done through an email. We've heard that before, right? So thinking of an organization, you may have a small footprint. You might have a small AP department. Like you're doing a lot of other things. You're wearing a lot of hats. What can I do to somehow check and balance my small organization against an accidental human error, letting something through, thinking someone else did it when they actually didn't make the call back? Make a Google form. Something that simple that requires to, someone to put their initials, you know, right next to I performed a callback on this phone number. And I know this is the business phone number because I verified it in my ERP and there haven't been any updates. Right. Just that simple, like sign off on that. And that goes to the next person who is going to approve the payment to the new bank account to see, yes, they did this, they did this, they did this. And that's critical. And I'll add something even further that we see very often when a fraudster compromises a, a vendor's email, the real email, 
they are going to email you and they're going to put their phone number in the signature line. Never, ever take the phone number from the signature line unless you validate that off of a source that you validate yourself. Right? We have to think about flipping the script on the way the fraudster wants to communicate with us. We communicate the way we want to communicate with the vendors that we're going to pay. So, you know, when we talked earlier, um, you know, we, we talked about defense strategies, which, which you just uh, reinforced. Um, but we've also talked about BEC creating an identity gap. Could you talk about that a little bit? Yeah, so we, we're talking about some tips, and, and now we're talking about strategy. <clears throat> you know, long-term thinking, how do I protect my organization that may be processing, you know, multi-million dollar payments every single month? So business email compromise, let's break it down real simple. It's, it's creating an identity gap that exists because of a lack of visibility that an AP department will have. And fraudsters are trying to convince you that there's no identity gap that exists. What is an identity gap? It's anything that's missing that would confirm someone is who they say they are. So Digital fraud prevention strategies, Paymodex as an example, bridge that gap for you in a way you can actually trust by identifying the vendor through correlating physical, digital, and banking information together. We're talking dozens upon dozens of correlating things. Then we get to know that vendor. And over time, as you're that vendor's submitting more invoices to you and you're making more payments and they're drawing those payments down, for instance, in the case of maybe a virtual card, we're getting to understand that vendor's behavior more and more and more, right? And so because of that, the bad guys don't have any dark corners to kind of hide away in when they're forced through all of these digital gates. The real vendors pass through and the fake ones get snared very quickly because they come in with spotlights of aberrations and their behavior. Interesting. Identity gap. Um, so let's look into the future. I mean, we the, you, we talked about dark places they can't hide and and... The, the whole theme of darkness kind of runs through this here, but is there any evidence that AP fraud will be effectively countered? Are you optimistic about that? Yeah, I'm, I'm quite optimistic about it. Um, you see internationally, you can look over to the UK and you see the they have confirmation of payee. Confirmation of payee is banks being able to ping other banks to validate account ownership. And that works pretty good, right? But it's it's still not largely broadly done. So you have to use all of these other correlating pieces. What we're really looking for, what what makes me feel warm and fuzzy about like countering this more and more and more is I think that authenticated networks like PayModex that create trust will end up ruling the payments world because you have to have security before you can have automation. And authenticated networks where vendors can come in, prove they are who they say they are, and then payers can trust who they're paying, and then everyone participating contributes to the overall size of a network, but trust in a network. Really, what happens is 
email becomes a thing of the past. Phone conversations become a thing of the past. And you're not just securing a payment, you're securing all the communication that has to do with a business interaction from the invoice to maybe some communication, some chat back and forth about what could be going on. And the payment itself, it's all business communication. Take it out of email. Take it out of phone calls from phone numbers you don't know from people who sound like the person you talked to last time. And you put it in a trusted platform where all of that can can take place. That's pay mode. So it all goes down away from where the fraudster doesn't like to be, right? It's in a place that they can't convince you because they have too many gates to get through. It removes all of the low-hanging fruit from their potential targets. So automation and authentication would be the two things to take away here. Authentication and then automation. Okay, got it. I want to thank everybody for listening. Chris, I'd like to thank you very much for the, uh, for the insight and, and the optimism. We're going to end on a positive note. <laughs> so thank you very much. Thanks, Sean. It's been a pleasure being here. I hope everyone can take away some good tips. And it's a great topic. Yeah, we, th- we think they will. Um, this episode, again, was cracking the case on AP fraud and business email compromise. Uh, once again, with Bottom Line Chief Security Officer Chris Gerda. Uh, Thanks to him again. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. The Payments Podcast from Bottom Line Technologies.